Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Fathers, we continue our study of Romans chapter 8. I just pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truth today. I pray, Lord, that we would rest in your word, that we'd have faith in it, and that we'd follow it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, over the last two Sundays, we have been studying five questions that Paul asked his readers in Romans chapter 8. And he poses those questions to build upon the promises of our salvation, which is laid out in Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. And so I want to read those before we continue to give us the proper context. And it reads, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And in order to fully appreciate the five questions that follow those verses, we need to look at verse 28 where Paul wrote, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. All things, both good and bad. And when you look at verses 29 and 30, And then you read verse 28. If you flip it, you get the full meaning of it. Because if you look at 28 through 30, in verse 29, he says four. So let's do that just for a moment. Because I think it makes sense. So if you look at 29 and 30, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And then you look at 28. Because they're joined together with four in verse 29. And we know that all things work together. In other words... What he's doing here is he's saying, despite the circumstances that you find yourself in, despite the circumstances, God's eternal purpose for every believer's life is to move from justification to glorification. That's the purpose. And wherever we find ourselves, we know that all things work together. And after Paul went through this, 28 through 30, he started asking five questions. John Stott, in his commentary on Romans, calls them five challenges. We've already studied question one. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? 
who can be against us. In question 2, verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give us all things? And we're about to progress into question number 3. And before we go to question number three, I want to make a couple of statements. One is, is that question three and four are joined together. We're not going to do three and four today, but question three and four are together. And I want to paint a mental picture for you, if you will, because questions three and four have to deal with being charged and being convicted, being charged and being convicted. Now place yourself this morning in a courtroom. You are standing trial for your life, your life, your actions, your words, and your deeds. And then Paul says in verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Now for purposes of illustration this morning, let's take God out of the equation. Look at the question again. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? For purposes of illustration, let's just say, who shall bring a charge against you? Against you. Your actions, your deeds. If we are honest with ourselves, there would be a long line of people, wouldn't there? There would be people who would say that, well, I was maligned by this person. They spoke an unkind word to me. They took advantage of me. And we would have to say, guilty, right? If you took God out of the equation and you had the long laundry list of our life and how we've interacted with other people, we'd have to be honest with ourselves and say there would be a whole bunch of people that could say, Monty did this to me. That's why I don't go back to high school reunions. There'd be a whole list of people who would say, Monty maligned me, or they were damaged by you. We see these accusations all the time. And in fact, to give you an example, there are two trial systems in our country. And I'm not talking about civil and criminal. Two trials. One is, it's a trial system that we're all aware of, that you get charged and you got to go down to the courthouse. And it's always a memorable occasion. I remember years ago, I served as a foreman on a murder trial here in our county. And they gave their case, both the government and the accused. 
there was a charge. And in this particular case, this person was convicted of murder. And it was a memorable experience. I can still recount the case. I can still recount the interaction with the people that I served with on the jury. That's one instance, is the trial system that we have in our country, whether civil or criminal. But we have another trial system in this country. You may know it as a phrase that we're all familiar with, the court of public opinion, right? In every day as you interact with people, you are standing trial in the court of public opinion. Every single day. The lost man lives in this court every day and knows no other court. Because his worldview is a finite one. And if you only have a finite view of the world... You have to come to the realization that there's only a limited amount of time. Seize the day, right? Only a limited amount of time. Only a limited amount of resources. Only a limited amount of pleasure. And you have to fight for your share. Those are the people that only have a finite view. And in order for them to capture the limited resources that are available to them, in their view, they have to tear other people down. Because everything's limited. Everything's finite. You see this in Galatians 5 as Paul outlines the work of the flesh. Galatians 5.19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just look at how he outlined the works of the flesh. And you think about the motivations of the natural man. Envy for the person that's envious. Are they putting someone else on trial? Absolutely. They don't deserve that. Right? That's what the envious person would say. They don't deserve that. In other words, the person making the accusation is saying they deserve it. Selfish ambitions. All of these things you see played out in our world today. And it raises its ugly head in the form of gossip. In the form of strife. What's the purpose of gossip? And I've always loved this definition of gossip. What is the definition of gossip? Making yourself look better at somebody else's expense. Making yourself look better at somebody else's expense. 
if you think about in our world that we're living in right now, a gossip is bringing a charge against you, right? A gossip's bringing a charge against you. And we have to acknowledge that we have to deal with the lost man who looks at his life as finite and is fighting for every scrap that they can get. And in doing so, they'll bring a charge that way. We'll talk about a second way that the natural man brings a charge in just a moment. But as believers, we don't believe that. As Christians, we don't have a finite view of the world. In fact, we have an eternal view of the world. We live in a spiritual world. Yes, we're here, we're pilgrims, we're just passing through. But we are able to converse and understand the things of God. So, with that being the case, let's look at the question again. Who shall bring a charge against, against who? God's elect. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies So when you look at verse 33, you have to recognize that Paul is asking this question in relationship to our faith. He's already outlined 28 through 30, our salvation, which isn't a one-time event. It's God moving us from justification all the way through glorification. And here he's giving us a challenge, as John Stott said. Because the question is almost silly. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In other words, despite our circumstances, despite our trials and tribulations, our salvation is assured. It's assured. We don't have to doubt. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now, before we get to Paul's answer, it is God who justifies. It doesn't mean that we are still not being accused in the heavenly realm, because we are. And let me give you a couple of verses. In that regard, first of all, turn with me to the book of Job. Job chapter 1, verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land. But now 
Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and surely he will curse you to your face. Satan's the accuser, isn't he? And there we have Satan standing in the court. Remember, 33 and 34 of Romans, we're in a court. And Satan is the accuser of Job. Take away all that he has and he will curse you. God gave Satan permission to do anything that he wanted except to harm Job. And Job was faithful. He was faithful. Why was Job faithful? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Job had a relationship with the Lord. And having a relationship with the Lord, he is in the Lord's protection. And regardless of the environment that Job found himself in, he was faithful because he has been saved and redeemed by the power of God. God's elect. God's elect. Now, you may say to yourself, well, preacher, that's just one story in the Old Testament, and that's about Job. That's not about everybody. That's not me. That's not you. Oh, it is. It is. And we can find that answer in Revelation 12. Turn with me to Revelation 12 as war breaks out at the end of time against God's kingdom and Satan's minions. You look at Revelation 12, verse 7, it says, And war broke out in heaven. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. And they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So, The great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then a loud voice sang in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Right now at this very moment in the courtroom of heaven, Satan is accusing. He's accusing you. He's accusing me. He's accusing every believer right now on the face of this earth He is therefore putting a charge. Now let's be honest with ourselves. If we looked at our life in our quiet time, and as we look back on our life, if we looked at all of the things that we've done and how we've interacted with other people, and ask ourselves the question, can I stand Before God without charge. On your own, that answer is no. But thank God, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. Because 
Paul posed the question, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? And he answers it, it is God who justifies. In other words, I don't stand before God. You don't stand before God in our own power, in our own strength. Because we'd fail every time, wouldn't we? I think some people in the American church have forgotten that. They use church as kind of an attaboy, right? Pat on the back. Oh, look at me. I go to church every Sunday. But you know what happens? If you live that lie, in as American Christianity, unfortunately, at this moment in time, is becoming less and less a part of this culture. If you're looking at your own life, you're feeling pretty good about yourself, aren't you? Because there's not a lot of people that goes to church. There's not a lot of people that read their Bible on a regular basis. There's not a lot of people that go to prayer meeting. And so if you participate in these things, if you just look at your own life, you can go, you know, I'm looking pretty good compared to my fellow man. But in your quiet time, you really know the answer, don't you? You know the answer that there's nothing that you can say or do on your own that you could stand in front of God and find yourself worthy. The answer is God. And in fact, still in Revelation 12, we saw already where... Satan was cast to the earth as he wore that title, the accuser of our brethren. The accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night and has been cast down. Keep on reading in verses 11 and 12. And they overcame him. And they overcame him. Stop right there. And they overcame him. How did we do it? Or how are we going to do it? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. My friends, in that great day to where we're caught up in the air, By the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we stand before the courtroom in heaven, we are pronounced innocent, not by our works, not by our righteousness, not by our logic, not by our merit. But we stand, why? By the blood of Jesus Christ. By the blood. And that's what we need to be about as a believer. We need to live our life in thankfulness because you and I cannot be charged by the great accuser because we have the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to be about proclamation of the gospel because the blood of Jesus Christ, the power of God, is the only thing that can change the heart and soul of a man. It's not by our righteousness. The Bible says that there 
filthy rags. It's by the wonderful gift that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the power of the cross. We thank you that through your grace that we've been redeemed, we've been forgiven, we've been empowered by your spirit to live a life based upon your truth. I pray, Lord, that we might rest in this, that we might recognize that we don't stand before you this Sunday morning because we're good people. We stand before you because we have been bathed in the blood of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we might tell the world about this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m., For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.